morning. Go Ravens. Yeah. So, uh, we are in chapter 14 of Romans. And uh, if you remember last week, we did a little bit of an exercise with the whiteboard. And we were talking about adiaphora. Now, who remembers what adiaphora are? That is correct. Things to not get your undies in a wad over. Um, adiaphora are things that are indifferent. The, the word Paul uses here in Romans is dialogismoi, which is sort of the same idea. Things you could, you could dispute about, things you could have uh, disagreements over, but they're also things that could go either way and that you should not get yourselves all worked up over. And we talked last week uh, just specifically about adiaphora that might arise in regard to worship. If you, if you weren't here, you missed out. We threw out all the different kinds of things that people could disagree about just in this one particular part of our Christian life. We talked about what Bible you would use, what translation you would use. We talked about what instruments you might use, what clothes people could wear. Are people supposed to wear something different if they're involved in making the service happen? Should you even distinguish between the people who are sort of up front leading the service and those who aren't? Does it matter who is able to do baptisms or should anybody be able to do that? Can anybody serve communion or do you need to have somebody who is a consecrated priest do that? Is it bad to identify somebody as a priest because being a priest means that you're bringing sacrifices? Some people would say you shouldn't do that because Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, so you don't need any more priests. Others would say, no, it's in continuity with this office of the priesthood that you have going all the way back, and this is how God works. All kinds of stuff we talked about. Remember, we talked about what kinds of music you could use. We talked about what, uh, whether when you take communion, whether you have wine or grape juice or both. Does the bread need to be unleavened? Should there be little individual wafers? Should the bread be broken for you in advance, or do you get to pull a piece off? Does that question depend on whether you have greedy people in the congregation? <laughs> all kinds of stuff. We, we, I mean, we ran out of time before we could brainstorm all the different ways people could disagree. We talked about architecture. We talked about who could be there. We talked about elements of the service, whether you should have things planned out in advance or whether you should just kind of go with the flow. If you have things planned out, do you have to follow a certain book or do you have to follow a different book or somebody else's book? Where do you get that? What's that? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, okay, I'll move on, Norm. So, <laughs> so the challenge, of course, with these adiaphora is that some of them maybe aren't. Right? I mean, that's what, in a way, what we were doing last week was a lie. Because we threw up all these things on the board, and all of those things are things that we identified as possibly being adiaphora. But some people would look at some of those and say, absolutely, that's not an indifferent matter. That's not something you should have a conversation about. That you should just have a priest administering communion, and if you aren't, then it's not really communion. Some would say if it's not wine, it's not really communion. Others would say if it's not grape juice, then you are harming people who don't drink wine. 
Let's take a look at our text again. This is Romans chapter 14. Paul writes, Accept the one whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Well, each one ought to be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. The one who eats meat eats to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God, and the one who abstains does that to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Is it, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The title of this sermon, like the title of last week's sermon, like the title of the next several, is You Can Do Whatever You Want. I want to let you know about the genesis of this phrase. This is a popular phrase in our household that has uh, entered it as a result of a vacation Mary and I took a couple of years ago. After I finished my doctorate, we celebrated by taking a cruise up to Canada. And uh, in the course of doing that, we stopped off in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where we had gone on our honeymoon, which was lovely which is in Canada, which is good. Uh, and the day before that, we stopped off in St. John, New Brunswick, where there's not a lot going on. Uh, and uh, a lovely place, and we were in the middle of the summer, and Atlantic Canada is great. I mean, it's basically like Maine, except the people are, are nicer, because they're Canadian. Uh, and and if, if the exchange rate is favorable, it can be a little cheaper. Um, but uh, so we had this time in St. John set up where Mary did the zip line thing in the morning and she had fun with that and I took pictures and everything was good and then we were done. So we asked the people at the zip line place to recommend somewhere to go for lunch and we did. We found this, this little restaurant that was, you know, had a, had a, a deck and a great tap list and, and uh, sat there and we had lunch. And then Mary said, what now? And I said, I don't know, whatever you want. I mean, boat doesn't leave for like five hours, so if you want, we can go back on the boat. The Olympics were going on. They put it on the big screen. We could sit around the pool and watch the Olympics. We could just hang out here. I'd, you know, be perfectly fine to just sit here. I got, got a book, interesting tap list. It's a nice day. I'm out on the deck. That would work. She said, well, you can do whatever you want. 
I want to stay right here. <clears throat> and Mary did not want to stay right there. So after she stayed right there for a little bit, she got up and left. And she ended up walking around the town. She went through the little market. She apparently found a church that was open, ended up having this impromptu hymn sing with the neighbors. All the while, I'm sitting, reading a thriller and drinking beer and just relaxing, which is kind of my idea of vacation. Uh, and so necessarily, uh, Mary comes back a few hours later after I had been doing what I wanted to do, after I had been told I could do whatever I wanted by her, and she was prepared for me to be doing something else more in line with the things that she wanted to do. So she then took me on her journey, showed me the, the uh, market that she had gone through and so forth. We went back to the boat. And, uh, and several times, again, in the rest of those few days we were away together, I was told, you can do whatever you want. And I learned very quickly, you can't really, <laughs> if you're me with Mary, do whatever you want. Even if you are explicitly told that you can do whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, but you can't really. At least you shouldn't. We were trying to impress this upon some of the kids at the New Year's party. You know, can I have a glass of root beer? Well, you can. Obviously, you have the capacity to pour yourself a glass of that and to drink it. May you have one? You need to ask your parents about that. But you can. But whether you should or should not, that's something that somebody else can help you to understand. So I think what Paul is saying here in Romans is, on the one hand, you can do whatever you want. But with Mary, he's saying, yeah, but you can't really. I mean, as a practical matter, there are some things you can't do both of, right? Sometimes you can compromise, right? So with communion, for example, we have both wine and grape juice because we want those people who believe that we should uh, take the elements in the Lord's Supper according to what Jesus would have, uh, would have distributed to his uh, disciples, which... Uh, would not have been Welch's grape juice, uh, then we should have wine and we should have bread. And then we also think, you know, there are people who, for whatever reason, can't have wine. And even though communion counts, if you only take it in one kind, if you just have the bread, that, you know, for much of the history of the church, it was only the priest who, who took the cup and the people only got the bread. It still counted, so it still counts, but we, we would like for people to be able to participate as fully as they can. So we have both wine and grape juice. There's a place where you can compromise. But there are other times when you can't come to a fork in the road and take it, as Yogi Berra said. You have to pick one or the other. Uh, otherwise, you end up like the person on the cover of the bulletin who decided to park in two spaces at the same time. This is obnoxious, and this is ridiculous. And in a lot of places, you can't do both. You can't both have a robe on and not a robe on. If you're going to be vesting, you need to wear vestments or not. If you're going to meet in a church and have the pews facing in a certain direction, then you're going to do that. You can't both have people sitting sideways and front at the same time. It doesn't work. But aside from the practical matters, 
the reality is, and this is what Paul is getting at here in Romans, not everybody sees adiaphora as adiaphora. Not everybody sees a particular point as being open to going either way on. Part of the challenge with adiaphora is figuring out what it really is, adiaphora, and what isn't. Let's look again back at this text. What, what would have been going on here in Rome? Remember when we read letters, uh, the letters in the New Testament, these are people like Paul who are writing two specific congregations of people about specific situations that are going on. It's kind of like when you go to SeaWorld and the sign says, do not swim in the shark tank. That's up there because somebody swam in the shark tank. Uh, so what is, what is Paul talking about here? Norm. Right, so some people were continuing in practices that they were accustomed to, like what? Right. Well, there was the, the church was made up both of Jewish people, mm-hmm. the church of Christ, and Gentiles, and Jewish people had their practices. Right, what, what would some of the practices have been? Sam, keeping the Sabbath. Right? That would be a practice. What else? Wendy? No? Okay. Eileen, I, you said keeping kosher, right? Kashrut, the, the, the dietary laws, right? That would have been, uh, for example, certain meats you can't eat. The cheapest meat available back in the day would have been pork. If you're Jewish, you can't have pork, right? And so that, that could have been a, a point. Yes? What's that? Right. What burial practices could be an issue there? Yeah. Steve? Circumcision, yep, yep, that would be, that would be a, a place where some people would be feeling like they should continue in the practice. Now, wh- why would you think that? Let's say you're um, a Jewish believer in Jesus. You've come to recognize Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah, and he's Lord and Messiah, and you're going to follow him. Uh, and you grew up in the synagogue, and you're in Rome, and you're in this little house church. You're in this group of people in Rome, and you've got some Gentiles there, and you've got some other people who have a Jewish background, and they're all there worshiping Jesus. So what, what is motivating your, your choices when it comes to those practices, whether you keep the Sabbath, whether you circumcise your child, whether you will eat pork or not? Chris? Right, so one question has to do with, to what degree are you still bound to follow the laws that are given in Torah? To what degree do you have to follow the commandments given to, to Israel? Right? There's a question of how much your Gentile neighbor has to do that, and then there's a separate question for you. How much do you have to do that? Right? What else is going on in your head there? Yeah. Keith? Right. So are you going to make a, a split? Are you going to uh, separate the old covenant from the new covenant and then recognize uh, the the restrictions under the old covenant no longer to be binding to you. So you might say, okay, I don't have to follow Torah anymore with respect to kashrut, so bring me a side of bacon. Or you might say, no, it's, I'm still bound to follow these practices because I am of the nation of Israel and Jesus wouldn't have had bacon, so I'm not going to either. Right? What, what else could be going on here? Yeah, Norm?
Right, so you, you could, so, so the issue might, even, might not even be theological for somebody, right? It could just be cultural, it could just be to keep peace. I mean, sh my Jewish friends have the phrase shalom bayat, the peace of the household. You try to maintain uh, domestic tranquility. Uh, so some things you will just put up with or go along with or follow just not to make waves. But there also could be a sense in which you would say, you know, I am not bound according to God's command with respect to this particular practice of eating or, or following a holiday. But culturally, I am still part of this community of people who understand themselves to be descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what my community does, and this is what it means for me to be part of that community. Is Part of it is that I, I've, I observe the same festivals. So even though I'm not under the Old Covenant, there are still patterns of living according to the Old Covenant that I may choose to participate in, right? That's a possibility, too. Right? What, what, what other things could have been going on? Yes, Darcy. Right. Uh, what, what do I know how to cook? Because historically, there have been bad cooks in every generation in place. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the cheapest meat available was pork, but oftentimes the only way you got meat was when uh, a, a, a patron or, or a government basically gave it to you on some sort of a festal day. There's a feast or a holiday, and that was distributed to the people. So otherwise, you might not even be able to afford to eat meat unless it was given to you. Well, if it's given to you on a particular holiday or a festival day, then that meat probably would have been sacrificed in the temple to some pagan god. So maybe you would feel like you couldn't in good conscience do that. Or you might say, ah, pagan god is nothing. It's nonsense. Bring on the, the sausage. Well, exactly, exactly. So it's, it, and you're not living in a vacuum. You're living in community with the people in your church, and you're also living in community with the people from the background you came from. All right. What, what are some other reasons that people might be considering what they would do or not do? Right. Right, so there may be people who, who would say, well, we have it from the disciples that Jesus kept kosher, so that's what we're going to do, right? What else? What, what are reasons people today will be vegetarians other than just because they don't like meat? There might be ethical reasons, yep, yep. What other reasons? Health. And some people just do it as an ascetic practice. Some people just for the sake of, of trying to live as simply as possible will, will try to live in a way that, is, that, that has the, the least impact on the world around them. There, there have always been, uh, in, in whatever culture, the people who will say, no, I'm going to live a life of, of asceticism, of, of fasting and of, of self-denial, and by doing that, I am going to be getting closer to God. So I will not eat as many meals, or I will only eat certain things. Um, so there was probably some of that going on. In a big town like Rome, there, certainly if, if there weren't people from that background at the church, people would have known about them. Pam, what were you going to say? Okay. Yeah. 
Exactly. Right, right. So you have the same issue, Pam is saying, for people coming out of a Gentile tradition, uh, and there are different ones than, uh, that, that folks would have coming out of the Jewish tradition. This, this, all gets, this all gets really, really complicated really quickly, doesn't it? Especially when you're talking about, as Mary says, the fact that you might be making these decisions about what you're going to eat, not just for yourself and your own family, but in light of what is going on for the people who are sitting with you at the same table. But what else is going on that Paul tells us about in the text? What else is going on other than the fact that some people are choosing to observe certain days and others are not, that some people are eating meat and others are not? Ruth? Yeah. Yeah, we get this over and over in this passage, don't we? Right? Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So again, if Paul is saying do this without doing that, probably somebody's doing that. Right? The one who eats everything must not look down on him who doesn't. The one who doesn't must not condemn the man who does. I mean, this is some pretty strong language. You have not only diversity of practice, but you have people judging and condemning one another for what they do or don't do. Here in the church, you have scorn, contempt, mockery, people belittling one another, people despising one another is what the old RSV uses. And that can't be good. What's at stake here? Why this is important, Paul says. Is that it was so that we could belong to the Lord, whether we live or die, that Christ died and returned to life. He's the Lord of both the dead and the living. And he died and rose again for the sake of his people, i.e. the church. So what's at stake in these questions is only what Christ died and rose again for. When we judge one another, when we look down on one another, when we condemn, when we have contempt, when we belittle one another, when we despise one another, when we think, ah, cannot believe that they're so bunched up over that, or when we say, oh, I cannot believe that he would be so rude as to do that, when we say, why is she shopping today? It is Sunday. These are all wounds inflicted on the body of Christ, on Jesus' precious bride that he bought with his own blood. And so that's why it's important for us to work through these questions, not just because practically speaking, in, in the lives we live and in the way we worship as a community and the way we do life together and the way we represent Jesus in this time and place where he's put us, we, we have to make some decisions. 
We have to figure out how we're going to do these things that we do. But the stakes involve the unity and the integrity of the body of Christ. And it's my contention, and we're going to test this out over the next few weeks and see if it makes any sense, that probably the best way to work through these questions is not to figure out a list of do's and don'ts. I think the idea of trying to extract some principles and then apply them is not going to be very helpful. At least that's been my experience, that that doesn't seem to work very well, and that seems to exacerbate some of the problems Paul's talking about. A better way, perhaps, is to be worried less about principles than about priorities, to be less concerned with a list of do's and don'ts than with the question of what is it that we are trying to accomplish? Who's God calling us to be? What's he calling us to do? And how can we be effective in that as we make the kinds of decisions that we have to make? So I look forward to working through these together over the next few weeks. Will you pray with me? Lord God, as always, we look to your word for guidance. We trust that you, in your wisdom, by the work of your spirit through the ages, have been speaking to your people. And so as we seek to understand what it is that you've given us in your word, we want to use the minds you've given us, and we want to incorporate the wisdom that you've given to your people over the ages. We want to recognize, but also deal critically with the kinds of experiences that we and others have had. We want to do all of this to your glory, so we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate this word that you inspired. We pray that you would empower us to live the kinds of lives that we couldn't pull off on our own. We pray that the fruit of this would be the edification, the building up, the purifying, making more effective of your church, both our local congregation here at New Hope and the church here in Baltimore. We pray that all this would be to your glory and your glory alone. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.